I'm Christy Gupton, and I'm an Employee Benefits Advisor. Welcome to Healthcare Solutions, a podcast where we explore innovations in healthcare, cost containment strategies, and employee well-being. We'll discuss every way possible to turn our healthcare system back into the kind of environment where patient care comes first and costs go down as a result. I invite you to join me to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Doctors all over the country are figuring out that managed care and the insurance reimbursement revenue cycle isn't what it's cracked up to be. More and more medical practices are looking into operating on a cash basis with patients and a direct contract basis with employers. Today's episode features Dr. Jordan Johnson of Morganton Chiropractic, who after years of operating under the fee-for-service model accepting insurance reimbursements for the care he delivered, decided to open up under a different model. Listen here as Dr. Johnson explains how working directly for and with your patients has changed his entire outlook on healthcare. In last week's episode... When you adjust, uh, as a chiropractor, when you adjust a joint, um, essentially you're trying to um, stimulate the neurology around that joint. Um, You're improving mobility. Um, And then one thing you said, improving alignment. So by improving alignment and mobility, and then you're essentially affecting the stress and tension and input into your nervous system. And that is the system that controls and coordinates pretty much the rest of your body. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get good input into it, you're not going to get good output, um, which is control, which Mm -hmm. is all functional stuff. So as much as I want to help people with symptoms, I try to redirect the understanding that I also want you functioning the best that you can um, so that you're less likely to build symptoms in the first place, but also more likely to, if you did have an injury or uh, or instance where you're damaged or hurt yourself, that you're going to bounce back from that quicker because you're not putting that extra stress on it all the time. And it had an effect on my physical activity. So the the pain in my left hip... um, essentially halted a much more active lifestyle. So Mm -hmm. since that pain is gone, I've started, you know, walking and running again um, for exercise. And there was a a time there, many months, where I would use that left hip pain as an excuse to say, no, I I don't feel like going for a run because it's going to make my hip hurt, right? So Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely... Uh, tied in to, to the quality of life that you lead, right? And so when, when you can say, huh, yeah, I do feel like going for a run today. Let's lace up these shoes and, um, you know, put the, put the headphones in the ears and, and go for a nice run and have some physical activity that, you know, we all need that. I mean, everyone talks about being more physically active, having a better diet, um, you know, and, and, it's just hard to do that when your body feels oh, it, limited. It absolutely is. <laughs> now for more. So I mentioned diet. Yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> there is at least some information, some research. Um, and, and again, full disclosure, I was a registered dietitian when I first entered uh, the workspace right mm-hmm. after college. Now, I got my degree 
<laughs> in public health from um, uh, from Carolina, and I, I, I went into an internship to become a registered dietitian, but all that was in the height of the craze of the food guide pyramid, <laughs> right? Remember that old thing? I do. Where the base of this pyramid was all carbs and starchy foods and grains and, you know, all that. So you, you were supposed to have more of that than anything else, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then fat was at the tip of the um, triangle, so you were supposed to have the least amount of that. And we're starting now, finally. I, I heard through the grapevine. I, I don't practice as a registered dietitian yeah. anymore, but um, I heard through the grapevine from a couple of other dietitians that even the American Dietetic Association is starting to backtrack on the what I consider faulty science that was based that based itself on the food guide pyramid. So, what are you using and telling patients about? the inflammatory effect of food on their bodies these days? Well, essentially, I mean, food has the potential. Um, well, I guess, let me backtrack a second. What we define as food is really important. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, because, <laughs> I like Michael um, Pollan's definition, right? You know this yeah. guy, Michael Pollan? He's pretty cool. Um, I don't. We don't agree with each other on politics, but he says... And if I can recant this and, and get it right, he says, um, uh, or at least his recommendation is, uh, eat real food, yep. um, mostly plants, not too much. Yes. And so far. <laughs> right. When he said that, I thought, oh my gosh, I spent four years getting a degree and I could have just boiled it down yeah. to that. Yeah. And I mean, that is that in simplicity. Absolutely. So, I mean, when you talk about eating real food... Less or no processing. Right. He says <laughs> um, real food. Problem exactly. Is, is eating processed foods, and we tend to think, and I say we as a population, we tend to think um, that if it's labeled as food, that it's food mm-hmm. and it's nutritional. But um, the nutritional aspect of an item should outweigh the detriments of it mm-hmm. um, for it to be considered so beneficial. He has a really cool documentary. Um, I think it's called Food Incorporated. I I would I need to go back and, and double check myself, but in that documentary he um, he definitely makes the point that you know real food doesn't come through the window of your car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> real food most often doesn't come in packages and boxes. It doesn't sit on a grocery store shelf, um, and so. That really impacted me when, um, I mean, you think I, I should have known these things already, right? But mm-hmm. um, you have to sort of put it in blunt terms. And so that's when I started, um, to the extent that I could, doing my first grocery shopping for the week at the farmer's market, right? Yeah. Because there's no grocery store shelves out there. <laughs> not, not many boxes and packages. It's, it's stuff that it came out of the ground or off the tree in its original state. And, uh, and brought to market, and then go to the grocery store for what I couldn't get at the farmer's market. So, you know, I think that um, as often as we can encourage patients to opt for a plant-based diet, um, we're going to have fewer problems with inflammation in our body. Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, the more processed something is, the more likely to cause inflammation. 
And honestly, you're already just going through daily activities. You're already causing mechanical stress and inflammation on the body. So to eat a poor diet um, that chemically, no, chemically irritates your system, um, your gut, uh, circulatory system, you're just not going to heal as fast as you should, which means you're going to build up these issues and complaints and pain mm-hmm. um, more often and uh, it's going to essentially shorten life, mm-hmm. quality and quantity. Um, so anything you can do uh, diet-wise, activity-wise to reduce that inflammation that you were talking about um, is going to be beneficial. So I had a misconception that I, I had to be um, set straight on. And I, and I feel bad because I gave my dad this own faulty advice. Because <laughs> he said, you know, my knee hurts. And um, I, don't, I don't think going to a chiropractor is going to help me with that. And I, and I said, well, you're probably right. And chiropractor really deals with stuff related to the spine. Then I came <laughs> back and I mentioned that to Tracy. And she said, no, no, this is... You should think about this this way. So help people understand from head to toe what chiropractic can help them with. Okay. So yeah, that is a big uh, mis- misconception. And by the way, I did oh. go back to my dad and, and, re- and uh, correct that. Good. So but, <laughs> just, for, just so everybody knows. <laughs> no, there's a big misconception that chiropractors deal solely with the spine um, and spinal joints. Uh, but actually... I mean, I've had multiple cases where people come in with just an ankle complaint or a knee complaint or hip or elbow or shoulder. Uh, the, the reason for that is, what's that? How's that little uh, song go? The knee bone's connected to right. the thigh bone. The yeah. bone's connected to, um, mechanically, it is all linked. Uh, and again, you have to ask yourself the question, well, why do I have knee pain? Is it because I fell and I hit my knee? Or is it come out of nowhere slowly over the course of weeks, months, years. Uh, and I found most issues, yes, you'll have an ankle sprain come in, but most issues are chronic, repetitive, slow stress injuries that just build. Um, and the reason for that is usually because something's not aligned properly, something's not moving the way it's supposed to, so you're compensating with another region or joint. And the knee itself is a... I have to say it's a bit of a poorly designed joint. So and usually any ankle issues uh, in movement, even if you didn't have pain in the ankle, can translate up to uh, any, any issue or same thing with the hip down. Um, but yeah, we, we're, the human body, because of the way it's designed, is very good at compensating. Yeah, but if you, it's meant for short term. If you do that long term, you're going to end up building um, issues. Mm-hmm. It's all connected. Yes. <laughs> and I, I remember Simply. my first visit with you when you took some pictures and you used some technology to identify um, posture issues and where hips were misaligned. And then when we went through a course of treatment, how many how many visits was that, by the way? 20? Uh, not even. I think the first plan, I think you were 12 visits for that first plan. Okay. So... Um, Roughly six weeks of, uh, of adjustments, maybe, six or eight weeks? Uh, most plans end up being, for initial, if you hadn't been under care before, it's been a while, um, usually eight to ten weeks. Okay. Because I start to, my goal is to ultimately make people less dependent on me. That's why you, you heard Christy mention earlier, um, exercise instruction, getting 
getting patients to do things outside of the office because I want you less dependent on mm-hmm. me holding it together um, and understanding why that is. Because uh, so ultimately, structured... my body is my responsibility, yes. right? Yes, this is very much a team team effort. Uh-huh. Uh, and I want people to walk out of that first appointment understanding that that I'm here to help and guide you, essentially, I guess, kind of like a coach. But the vast, uh, big majority of the workload ends up on you because mm-hmm. you're in here a very small portion of the time. Um, you are sitting at home, driving, at work, doing other things, uh, the majority. You so know, I need you doing things well. If you don't, then it delays the process and it takes a little bit longer and you end up probably not getting the results you want to get. You know what's occurring to me in my mind is this all plays back to who pays you, right? So my buddy David Contorno um, made me realize that you work for who pays you. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and benefits um, advising and, and brokers who sell insurance benefits to employers, it's a bit of a dilemma, right? And he wrote his article about it, laid it out very clearly that it's there's an internal conflict with brokers who say they represent the client, the employer, but they're being paid by the insurance company. And so there's that conflict. I can imagine the frustration of a physician is very similar when you're trying to help a patient, but you're not actually working for them. Because, And I'm not saying you, but I'm just saying doctors who are caught up in this fee-for-service environment, they're trying to help their patients, but it's more of a... um, it's just it's just less of a collaborated a collaborative experience because they're there to see you and they think you're supposed to fix it for them um, and then they presented a third party payment mechanism so you honestly get to the point where the physician works at the discretion of the insurance company yeah, not so, on yeah. behalf of the patient and yeah. so there's this internal conflict there what you've done which is so incredible, and, and I hope everybody that's listening to this, or the light bulbs are going on in their head. What you've done is you've established a collaborative team effort experience between you and the patient, and the patient yeah. is paying. So if they're going to get out of it what they think they're paying for, they've got to get on board and do some things that they might not ordinarily do if they were presenting a different payment method. Yes. Isn't yeah. that true? Yeah, so that situation, I mean, it's, uh, the interaction between a doctor and a patient is a relationship. Um, and to add a third party into that relationship that doesn't really have much to do with the patient improving or They provide better. no care whatsoever. Yeah, they set limitations. Mm-hmm. But that out of that breeds patient expectation. That was one of my biggest frustrations, I think, when I first came out of school and in my associateship, having patients... You evaluate, you sit down, you explain, you give a recommendation, hey, this is what you need, and then having to go back and say, well, this is what your insurance covers. Isn't and that And it's awful. not what you need. Yeah. And then guess what happens a lot of the time? Mm-hmm. Patient hits that 12 visits or 20 visits. And, and then they stop coming. They stop coming. And then they may come back next year because the same thing has come back on them. So, Or it's worse it's not, or exacerbated. Yeah, so, or, yeah. And it's not... Um, the third party has 
is not a part of the relationship and it's a, it creates a headache and a frustration um, I think for both um, both parties involved the it, patient and the physician it honestly distorts the relationship and creates a barrier and um, well a demise of of the relationship mm-hmm. uh, eventually I'll um I, I was talking with someone yesterday um, about how sometimes it's a non-starter for me because I do I am trapped in an insurance policy uh, through my husband's work and when I ask myself is this hassle worth it many times it's a non-starter for me as opposed to a person who has a direct relationship with their provider um, that is an open um, unlimited access point um, where they can even text or email or call or FaceTime their doctor. <laughs> and and it, it's, a, it's just a whole different dynamic. I told a story of um, being out of town and without a medication that I needed. And instead of calling up my doctor's office and seeing if they could reroute a prescription up to New York, I just decided to do without it. Mm-hmm. And I may do. I didn't die or anything. I was fine. <laughs> I was I was okay. But I I had to make some adjustments um, to you know. Uh, well, I mean, I've I've been pretty open and honest on this podcast to say that I have type two diabetes, and so at this trip, I just decided I'm not going to eat any carbs. If I'm not going to have the medication I need to sort of get those carbs out of my blood, I'm just not going to eat them. That's not necessarily um, the best method, especially (laughs) if you're in New York, right? The culinary mecca of the world. Mm -hmm. So um, I spent four days in New York just eating um, vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) And I would have loved to have had a piece of that New York cheesecake or a a piece of pizza, but I I didn't do it. So, but because I had to think, is it worth the hassle that it's going to take for me to, um, you know, call the number, get through the initial triage and then, you know, get a message to my doctor and and have this prescription, you know, sent to a different place and blah, blah, blah. All of that hassle was just not worth it to me, as opposed to if I had been in a, in a, a direct relationship with a physician, um, where if I'm, I'm paying for their services, then the whole world opens up with opportunities, mm-hmm. right? And so I could have just picked up that phone and said, hey, I have a problem. Or, or sent a text, yeah. a text message to the doctor and say, oops, I messed up. Can you help me? And I have no doubt that the problem would have been resolved within the day, maybe within a few hours. But I decided as a patient and a person with a medical condition I need to manage that it just wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine that that kind of mentality is pervasive in our healthcare system right now because of this third-party payment mechanism um, sort of being a barrier between patients and their providers. Yeah, and I think that I think that's why when I explain our system or my, uh, my wife, Tracy, explains how we have things set up that patients, they just understand that we don't want to deal with the headache. They understand it, which means that they understand being frustrated with their coverage and insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I'm not completely against insurance, but it's. I want patients to understand that it's theirs. 
I feel like they don't, most of the time they don't understand that it's not, as a, as a physician, it's not our insurance. I know, yeah. Practices bill and do that to try to make it as a convenience for the patient. I have no problem if somebody wants to submit on their own by any means. Sure. It's no big deal. We'll print off whatever you need, but um, it, it allows us to serve patients better um, with more attention and more time if we don't have to deal with that third party. Mm-hmm. Which makes me happier. Yes. So if you take your, your patient panel and give some estimates, what do you see coming in the door most often? And um, how do you see that being resolved and in what time frame? Are you talking demographic wise? Mm-hmm. Like a, like issues. What kind of healthcare challenges do you see coming in and and how do you um, help those patients resolve those with your skills? Um, so most often as I guess the average patient, um, and we, we treat kids, teenagers, um, elderly, although most elderly have Medicare, so <laughs> and they want to utilize that and I understand that. Um, but uh, probably average patient demographic is between 30 and 40 um, and coming in with some sort of job-related neck or back, low back complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after we go through that new patient evaluation, um, I sit down. The second visit, that's about an hour long. The second visit, I sit down and I, again, take the time to explain what I just did the first visit and usually that's a few days later to see how you responded to the first adjustment Uh, but we sit down for about a half an hour go through all your results answer any questions or concerns you might have and I give a recommendation uh, what I think it's going to take for that individual to get to a point where they're not only feeling better um, but I also want them functioning better and maintaining that so again we can stretch things out so that they become less dependent on me Uh, but again, understand it's a relationship and um, both parties have to be active in that, which means the patient has to do what they need to do if they want to get the results they expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically, uh, by the end of that 8 to 12 weeks, as we stretch things out, and that, that ends up being, for most people, 10 to, 10 to 12 or 14 visits. Um, we do a re-examination and see how much they've improved, and uh, if we've hit, uh, if we've improved significantly and hit certain benchmarks, I would like to see uh, as far as symptoms and uh, functional improvements. Um, we keep spacing things out, uh, stretching appointments basically in half, uh, and trying to figure out what maintenance point works best for the for that individual. Because honestly, because yeah, we get that, we get yeah, everybody's different. And we get that. I've heard this. Uh, so many times this last two years, I've heard if I, if I start going, I have to keep going. Well, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> if you want to keep functioning well and without symptoms, then you should probably do something to maintain your body, whether that's eating really well, um, uh, exercise, being active, sleeping well, staying hydrated, um, getting adjusted um, as part of that. Um, the body is essentially a machine. You have to do something to maintain it. But everybody's schedule is different. Uh, everybody has different stresses. Some people sit in a car driving 700 miles a week. Some people sit behind a desk for eight hours a day. Uh, some people 
beat themselves up working construction. So everybody has different stresses and jobs and um, diets and everything. So it's a little bit different for everybody. What can you give a story of uh, maybe um, uh, a major expensive surgery you were able to help a patient avoid? Um, let's see here. Um, nothing's coming to mind. Um, well, well, you you I said, mean, yeah, you help someone review an MRI and um, point out you know, what the MRI was actually showing. Yes. Can you imagine a, a scenario where um, someone comes in and they're having a lot of back pain and maybe they've even gotten a recommendation from an orthopedic surgeon that they this could be resolved with surgery? Have, have you been able to divert that in any way over the course of your career? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, I've... And in the opposite, I've also had patients who come in who have had the surgery unsuccessfully oh, <laughs> and yes. not not gotten the results they wanted um, um, and uh, have had improvements afterwards. Um, chiropractic care should be, uh, is a more conservative step, so it should be a f- one of the first steps, not uh, an afterthought, mm-hmm. trying to repair something that can't be repaired, right. <laughs> like after surgery. Um that being said, depending on patients' histories and everything, people sometimes get to a point where surgery is the next step, the best step. Um, so I'm not completely against that, uh, but it should be um, put on the back burner until other things are tried. No kidding, sure. yeah. Because uh, once you do it, you can't undo it. <laughs> That's right. It's um, There's no turning back. Um, well... You know, that leads me back to the employer space. It would, it would be great <laughs> if we could convince employers that as a preventive measure, you know, um, whenever there is joint pain or, or even, um, even like what I was experiencing, like muscle spasm sort of um, issue, you know, to... To have a maybe um, an HRA set up—that's a, a health reimbursement arrangement for those who don't know—or some sort of other um, reserve account set up um, to strike a direct contract up with a local chiropractic firm. Um, of course, they need to be of high quality first, mm-hmm. you know, and employers need to understand how they can find. Um, quality in the healthcare system. That's that's where a good yeah. advisor <laughs> comes into play. But um, maybe describe, it's, even though this hasn't happened yet in your practice, maybe describe what you think would be a great scenario uh, between your office and a local employer um, for that sort of arrangement. Um, I mean, I thought about going to local businesses and trying to work something mm-hmm. out with them where I was um, offering, offering services. Um, but again, that takes time to go to that location. But I'm open to uh, to the idea uh, of being able to set something up with a local business um, where their, their employees have access um, to, to my services. Um, what, as long as it m- maintains, I can still spend a sufficient amount of time with people. That's right. Um, 
because of the few scanning technologies I use in the office. Um, it'd be easier to do it here, obviously, but mm -hmm. um, uh, there's other ways to uh, evaluate people on site uh, or at their location to make it convenient for them. Yeah. Um, Maybe they're, they're, you know, bringing my perspective into it, there would certainly be a reason to say, okay, let's design the plan. Let's design the health plan so that um, co-pays are either zero or really low for um, things like chiropractic and physical therapy and um, provide that steerage to those um, sites of care first as opposed to um, you know, having pain and going directly to, um, you know, a, a doctor who ultimately is going to perform a surgical procedure because that's what they're comfortable with. Yeah. That's what they've been trained to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need surgeons um, in our world, right? No, but, absolutely. But, yes, if it was, um, if it was a, a situation where I'm just having pain and I, I need to find out where it's coming from, um, you know, I think employers just need to understand they've got options. Um, they don't have to just give their employees a provider directory and a card to carry around in their wallet and then no other direction besides mm -hmm. that, yeah. you know. So having this, um, you know, managed care environment, I think, is, is starting to bubble up in areas where employers are starting to realize Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. I yeah. Mean, maybe it, this isn't the best way to do things. Yeah. If I mean, if I was an employer um, of a, a small, medium, whatever, large size company, and this is just me, but I would want to take the best care of my employees because <laughs> that's mm -hmm. uh, that they're taking care of my business. So right. if I don't take care of them, then my business would probably suffer. That's right. And like you said, um, surgery can't be undone. Yeah. And many times it doesn't even help what it was intended to help. Sadly, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cases that end up not resolving the issue or causing complications. I mean, when and part of that, when you start cutting things, you cause inflammation, but you also cause uh, scar tissue. Mm -hmm. Like low back surgeries, you're going in and let's say a patient needs, a, or not needs, but uh, ends up getting like a laminectomy or a, a microdiscectomy where you're basically trimming the disc um, so that it doesn't offend the nerve so much. But then you don't educate the patient on, well, why did that disc break down in the first place? Mm -hmm. So that they go back to doing exactly what they've been doing before because now they're pain-free. And what happens one, two, three, four years later, they end up building up the same issue at that level or a level above or below it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. And all that could have been avoided. Yes. <laughs> well, I really hope that as a result of this podcast, everyone who hears it will, um, you know, seek out the, the best chiropractor in their area. And for that matter, ask, do you accept cash yeah. <laughs> as a, you know, as a um, alternative to this copay on my insurance card? And can we talk about, um, you know, what that looks like? And I hope that other chiropractors who might hear this um, discussion imagine for themselves a life where they can say, this is what I'm comfortable making, and this is how many patients I'm comfortable seeing, and let's reverse engineer the math so I can decide what it would cost um, 
those patients to come in and access my skills uh, to help them from a healthcare perspective, mm-hmm. and they they themselves um, follow in your footsteps. So yeah, I love it. And if anyone want to reach out to me, go ahead. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, and um, I'll post in the show notes your contact information. Okay. But go ahead and and. Um, Put how you, uh, if you, if it's a phone number or an email address or whatever, go ahead and yeah, tell them what you, it is. Yeah, if anybody would like to reach me with questions about anything we talked about today, um, or uh, you can reach me at Dr. Johnson Morganton Chiropractic at gmail.com. And I'll definitely put that um, in the show notes and I'll uh, publicize it um, on, you know, social media and various other places. So, Thanks a lot, man. Not, not yeah. just thanks for the podcast, but thanks for what you did to help me feel better, too. Absolutely. Just got to keep it going. All yeah. right. Thank you, Christy. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining our important discussion as we attempt to hashtag Let's Fix Healthcare. Please subscribe to our podcast and let us know what you think. For more information on the work we do at Custom Benefit Solutions, visit our website at www.custombenefits.work.